0: Hey everyone, Josh here. And Fernando here. And welcome to another episode of Is
1: This Movie, You Know? Gay! You Know, where we talk about LGBTQIA plus movies, and we discuss them through a queer lens, and we watch them so you don't have to, unless the movie's very good, which then we're gonna ask you to please, please, please watch it. And today we have a... Actually, it's pretty well known. It's a
0: pretty well-known theater movie. So our movie today is the 1996 comedy,
1: The Birdcage. Yes, starring um, legends Robin Williams and Nathan Lane. But before we do that, um, Josh, why don't we talk shit about Hollywood in our tops and bottoms of the week? Let's
0: do it. Let's do it. So here's some a little bit of news from the Ellen DeGeneres show. For the past few months, um, the production team of Ellen has been in the wake of accusations of sexual misconduct, racial insensitivity, and a lot of work environment uh, problems um, at the show itself. And three senior producers have been fired from the show um, after uh, really damning allegations were raised in recent reports by BuzzFeed and Variety um and ellen has been very tearful and apologetic to her to everyone who works on her show and has said that she she vows that changes will be made that and she's admitted that like yes the show has at times alienated staffers but she really wants to to fix all of the problems that were that were brought up in these articles
1: so for those who don't know There's been a lot of rumors about Ellen's behavior, but what specifically these three producers do? Yes, um, so one ex-employee
0: said that um, the executive producer, Kevin Lehman, had asked him uh, to perform fellatio in a bathroom at a company party in 2013. And another person said that they saw Lehman grab a production assistant's penis and that he's groped production assistants in their cars and kissed their necks. And that uh, Lehman has made sexually explicit comments in the office, like pointing out bulges and then a- asking, are you a top or a bottom? And that, you know, a lot of these targets were lower
1: level, younger employees who, right. who felt like they couldn't speak up. Oh, um, there's it's very well known. It's like a rumor if you like go through the right forums on, online that The Ellen Show has like a really high turnover rate. Yes, yes. <laughs> um it's, it's like, true it's not well known for it being like a really good work environment, and of course, like Ellen has been out of the spotlight for quite a bit, but I know that she had a call with the employees saying that she's not perfect, and that she was actually kind of surprised because one of the accusations was um that the employees were told not to look at Ellen in the eye, and she was like i like i didn't know that producers ask this from you, and like, I really want you to bring up issues if, if something like that happens. Um, how do you feel about it?
0: Well, there have been well um, some well some people, some people say uh, you know behavior like this starts at the top and is enabled by the top, and I think a lot of the people who are speaking out against this are upset that Ellen supposedly enabled this behavior to happen. I think I think it's great that that these three producers were fired. Um, however, you know, it, it does make me question, how are they going to fix this work environment? I almost feel bad about asking this, but is is Ellen a part of it?
1: Right. Well, like, the way I see it, I'm a little bit, like, of a cynic about it. I'm like, this is, like, nothing but... Like, I see it as the perfect PR move, because it's obviously firing these, like, three producers kind of, like, absolves Ellen, um, in right. a way, you know, like, this is, like, it. this is a PR move, it, like, that says it was them, it, it, it like, it shifts attention from, because the stories, when the stories, like, started coming out of, like, that, um, the Ellen show was a really poor, Work environment. The producers were named initially. Everyone just has like really nasty stories to say about Ellen. Um, and by doing this, it shifts the narrative. And of course, like outlets like Deadline and Variety have been reporting this news, and it gets amplified. And really, the conversation is nom- is dominated by the producers being fired. I luckily have not been part of the Ellen crew. Um, You really want to know what the work environment is like, but if it really was the case that it was on the producers' hands that this shit happened, I applaud the show, it's a top, but, you know, if it was Ellen herself, you know, we still got a problem. The thing that I find annoying is that, like, you can see a bunch of, like, celebrities coming in support of her, and... You know, like, of course, like, she didn't treat you badly because you are number one, rich, and second, and in power, just like her. Nowhere near comparable, but um, it, it's kind of the situation. Meghan McCain, when she was in The View, talking about how Roger Ailes, like, never, and Abby Huntsman, who was, who was the daughter of, of John Huntsman, mm-hmm. who was part of the Obama administration and the Bush administration, I believe they were both, like, Roger Ailes, who very famously, like, you know, is known to have sexually harassed hosts and fuck news. Like, they both said, like, oh, like, Roger Ailes never tried anything with me. And, like, it's, like, of course. Like, you are...
0: Because you're a big name.
1: Right, you're, you're the kids. Right, you're the kids of, like, very high-profile politicians. Of course, like, it didn't happen to you. And I am gonna... Like, it's kind of the same way with, with Katy Perry. It's, like, of course, girl. Like, she, didn't, she wouldn't do shit to you. Like, um... But I just, you know, it's, like, one of those things that, like, you don't have to say anything, so why say anything at all? Um, Right. The thing is, I don't think Ellen needs any protection. That's kind of, like, how I feel about it. Well, why not? Because she's rich, she's white, she's privileged, and I assume she's made a real good amount of money from the show. So Right. But if she would if it comes comes out
0: that if it comes out that she had a hand in this, in this abuse, then they'll take her show away from her. Of course, and that's great.
1: You know, I'm just saying I don't think that we should like the rich and powerful should intervening because you know like she is she herself is rich and powerful and if she didn't she did, lose the show. Like, it's, like, it's really hard for me to feel bad about it, even even if she wasn't involved. When, like, I know that, like, I'm still living in my, like, little Harlem apartment, and she's going to go back to her mansion in Malibu. Like, you know? It's, yeah, yeah. I think that as society, we outgrew the necessity of Ellen. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, let's not, okay, but let's not gloss over the fact that she is a really big part of history of LGBTQIA plus representation on television and in the media sure. and that she was a trailblazer in that
1: regard. And no one's denying that, but the same thing could be said about RuPaul. You know, I like, I applaud RuPaul and the contributions to media, but RuPaul is like highly problematic. And if we move past, you know, what RuPaul has done, I'm sure it's like, you know, we have, there's so many new people that fit that bill that could take over her show. You know, like, why? Like, it's Ellen DeGeneres. Like, why don't we give it? You know, you don't even have to change the name of the show if we get Ellen Page. You know, it's. it's <laughs> <laughs> Ellen Pompeo. <laughs> right. Ellen Burstyn. It just, Burstyn. <laughs> it just it, I just, yeah, get all the Ellens in a rotational basis. <laughs>
0: Well, here's, here's something that Ellen has done to start building a better work environment. Staff members will now receive their birthdays off, as well as five paid days off to use at their discretion, and paid time for doctor's appointments and family members. Five paid days off.
1: That's nothing. Exactly, that's nothing. That's really fucking shitty. Five is, like, nothing. You know, like, one day... I- you know like i can i i i already took my 5 days and and we're not even halfway through the year you know it's like <laughs> um, and like we're not going fucking anywhere it's you're in the middle of a pandemic and i still use my days like but anyways i'm going to say regardless i think this is a bottom
0: this is definitely
1: a bottom yeah no bottom shaming on this show but but not um,
0: like yeah our bad stories basically are bottoms, but, like, we're just using top and bottoms for, like, the wordplay. It's we don't funny. not that, like, tops <laughs> are better than bottoms, sexually. Wow. <laughs> Society already pushes that narrative enough. We don't right. need to. Wait, we you don't need, need, to you don't need it. people with
1: absolutely no credentials. <laughs> Anyways, we're gonna move to the next story. It's to Guillermo del Toro recently... Announced the cast for his adaptation of Pinocchio. Um, It's going to have Kate Blanchett, Tilda Swinton, Jim Blake Nelson, and Finn Woolhard as the cast of the Pinocchio movie, which will be a Netflix original. Um, As far as the press release announcing the cast, they said that this is a overarching deal with um, Netflix that would include movies, and TV shows. Um, so they had kind of like already rumor that that was happening, but now they like kind of confirmed it. They didn't say which other projects would be included in this, but yeah, this is what's happening. How do you like Del Toro?
0: I love Del Toro, and I know that like for years now, it's been his dream project to do an adaptation of Pinocchio, and I'm so glad that it's finally in production and that we're finally going to see it. I just hope it's as good as he's been building it up to be for all these years. Right. Um, What's your favorite Del Toro movie? I think The Shape
1: of Water is my favorite. Del Toro is, like, for me, it's a hit or miss. I am going to get crucified by this, but I really did not enjoy The Shape of Water. Seeing the work that he has done with Pan's Labyrinth, and you compare it to Shape of Water, it's, I think it's, it's, the inferior one. It's like the ugly sister. Um, <laughs> you know? It's like, meh. and And as I said, like I think that Bill Toro has some hit or misses. Um, Pan's Labyrinth is great. Um, El Espinazo del Diablo is great. Pacific Rim, I'm a huge fan of. Then you have Crimson Peak. You have Hellboy 2, which, uh, compared to the first Hellboy, I don't think it's that great. And television-wise... Oh, so this is the thing. Have you read The Strain books? No, I haven't. Great. So I'm a huge, and if you are listening and you've read these, I'm a huge The Strain book fan. It was supposed to be a movie, but then the FX bought the rights for it to be a show. And the show is-
0: completely
1: right. It's a slap in the face of the fans of the books. And I'm just like, the thing about Del Toro is that he is not a very focused artist. Like, he will take on so much- like, how many projects have been announced to be in development by El Toro that, like, never happened? Just so you have an idea, Guillermo del Toro has a Wikipedia page It's called Guillermo El Toro's Unrealized Project. Because he will announce that he will start something and he won't finish it. And, like, some of the biggest, like, things was, like, a Tarzan adaptation, the, uh, El Orfanato, which is, like, a Spanish horror film. He was going to do a American remake, Halo movie, Hellboy 3... Um, he was supposed to be the original director for Beauty and the Beast. He was supposed to be one of the directors for The Hulk. He was supposed to be helming Dark Universe for DC. Um, he was supposed to do Frankenstein and Silent Hills, and even a, um, a Fantastic Voyage adaptation. So, you know, he, like, starts, he will announce something, people will get excited, and he's like, you know what, like, I couldn't get the funding, I couldn't get, you know, the project off the ground, and, you know, I... I honestly think that Netflix is being really risky at investing with him because he's also not like a huge like bankable director.
0: No, but he's hot off an Oscar win for best director for *The Shape
1: of Water*. But it doesn't mean you know, Oscars are like the kiss of death for some people. (laughs) (laughs) Only if you're a supporting actress. Um, right. Um, and also *Pacific Rim* for example, which was like a huge passion project of his he directed it he produced it and he wrote he co-wrote the screenplay for it it was 200 million dollars and it only made 400 million yeah like yeah. that's not a good return of investment i like i if i was netflix i will have so much anxiety about this um but the other thing is that but they're, netflix. they're right, netflix. Is netflix they can afford it well that's not necessarily true because it, and the reason to why I wanted to read this news, it's because this is starting to be a trend with Netflix. They have had deals with crusese and David Fincher and several other um directors uh Michael Bay that like they have they're developing things exclusively for Netflix, and I'm like these are like big people you know it's not fucking Ari aster it's like we are talking about people with like a, great salary needs and people who don't make small movies like Scorsese movies are a shit ton of money. Del Toro movies are a shit ton of money. Michael Bay movies are like some of the most expensive movies ever made. That's true. That's true. Here's the thing though. Netflix wants
0: their talent and Netflix is prepared for Del Toro to go as off the tracks as he wants, you know, because they want that because they think that there's an audience for that. And there is, I want to see him do an animated Pinocchio musical. I mean, the problem is, is that it's going to be inevitably compared to Walt Disney's Pinocchio from 1940, and which is, in, in the opinion of many film scholars, one of the greatest animated films ever made. Certainly, that movie, which is now 80 years old, is still going to cast a shadow over this new work.
1: Right. Um, also, the, the Bellini Pinocchio movie, which is terrible. Um, we, don't, we don't talk about that. <laughs> yeah it's like, and yeah the, the other thing is the Man. I I like you could get away with watching it at home totura movies are not known for being at home movies well
0: they're also going to give it a limited theatrical release as well
1: but it's not the same you know I, I like when, we have discussed this before I like I think the other thing that I wanted to bring up when when talking about these news it's that it's starting to be a little bit like we're going back to the old Hollywood, like the golden era of Hollywood where like both actors and directors would work exclusively with studios um you know how it was like you were a paramount actress you were a a um um mGM actress or like stuff like that we're going back to that with like people for example in. The Marvel Cinematic Universe that they like, they will go like above and beyond for Disney. These are people who are, like are willing to do the press tour
0: and all that shit. Uh, I disagree probably. completely. Do you think Robert Downey Jr. is just a Disney guy? Yeah. I think he knows, he knows that he needs to show up for the press for the film that he's doing, but he I would do the Roger, same
1: thing for Warner Brothers. Robert Downey Jr. is like a writer guy, Disney guy. You watch Dr. Delittle, it's because I don't watch Dr. Delittle. Okay, but okay, Chris Evans
0: and Robert Downey Jr., they make films outside of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It just so happens that their roles with the Marvel Cinematic Universe are the most popular. And of course they're gonna chase down those opportunities, but they're I, not no, like beholden to those. Chris I'm Evans wasn't knives out.
1: I'm not I'm not saying that they are. I'm saying you won't see a level of commitment to a studio the way these guys have for Disney.
0: Well, yes, because it's a huge movie, and they signed the contract, you know? Right. Of course. But,
1: like, that's what I'm saying. You know, like, it's... It, we're, I think that we're going back to that, that, like, people are, like, being loyalists to studios, which I I, I don't see anything wrong, you know? If the if the studio is willing to write the check, like, wouldn't you go above and beyond for your work? I would do it. Um, so... What do you think? I think it's a verse. I think we'll
0: see what kind of content he comes up with with Netflix. And, I mean, I I hope Pinocchio's good. But for now, you know, I'm reserving my judgment. It's a verse.
1: Okay. I would say that it's a top for us, the audience, and the people who are paying under $12 for Netflix a month. I think it's a bottom for Netflix. Unless it's a horror movie. Because he's, like, known for, like, creepy um, I don't see people being like, oh my god, I need to watch this. Which was the case for like The Irishman. Like The Irishman flopped in terms of viewership. Um, no, you know? that's not true. It didn't do that well. Fucking Tiger King Netflix. did Tiger Netflix King
0: did doesn't re- Okay, but Netflix doesn't release its numbers publicly. So just because a lot of people, a lot more people watch Tiger King. Than the
1: Irishman, it doesn't mean that no one watched the Irishman. I'm not saying no one did, but like here's the thing about these, these studios releasing their numbers. They will never miss a, a, for everyone in the audience listening, they will never miss a chance to say, "haha, we did it better," or "haha, we gotta win." And the reason to why they didn't deliver, like Hulu did it for fucking Palm Springs. Um, oh, there's an ambulance happening. Hi, ambulance. Um, the reason to why they released the numbers for Palm Springs was because they were good if the numbers for the Irishman were good you, know, you and I know that they would have released them and they did I'm looking here that, um, that over
0: the first week or so um, it, 27
1: million accounts watched the film but that's the other problem Netflix is very loose when they say watch for them, watch is that they press play on the movie, not how no, long you watch no. it. Watch counts any account
0: that watched at least 70% of
1: the film. Right. But then again, when you pay for a ticket in the movie theater, you sit down for the four hours of the film. When you put it on Netflix, you put it as background. I know that I put I put the Irishman as background. I didn't watch the movie. Oh.
0: Well, maybe that's why you didn't like it. I like, I like. I tried
1: so hard. It's so bad. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my god. We've talked for like ten minutes about The Irishman now. Uh-oh. Let's rename this podcast Is This Movie The
1: Irishman? Irishman. Um, because we talk about it so much. I'm I just, done. I, I hate the film. I'm sorry. If you like, don't know what I'm talking about, put the first ten minutes of it I and mean, you're like, I think I want to die. And, you know, the feeling doesn't go away. It's a bad movie. And it should have won a single award. And it didn't. So that's great. It didn't. in the world. Um... But moving on to our movie. <laughs> movie of the week. Um.
0: So The Birdcage is a 1996 comedy directed by the great EGOT Mike Nichols and adapted by Elaine May. It's an English-language remake of the 1978 French-Italian film La Cage au Faux, which then became a hit Broadway musical in 1983. Uh, the film has an all, a powerhouse, all-star cast of Robin Williams, Nathan Lane, Gene Hackman, Diane Wiest, Hank Azaria, Dan Futterman, Calista Flockhart, and Christine Baranski. Um, a little bit about La Cage aux Faux, which is what The Birdcage is based on. The The French film was directed by Édouard uh, Molinaro, based on the French play by Jean Poiret. And at the time, uh, the film La Cage aux Faux was a huge hit, and um, internationally and was nominated for Oscars and then in 1983 it became a Broadway musical with music and lyrics by Jerry Herman and a book written by Harvey Fierstein and it was also a hit Um, but this adaptation uh, The Birdcage is the only one of those four the French film the French play the musical and now The Birdcage to take place in Miami. All the other ones take place in Europe. Warwick,
1: um, have you watched the musical?
0: I have not, but I've listened to it a bunch of times. It has a really mm-hmm. famous track, um, I Am What I Am. Yes, I love that song. Um, famously, we recorded by Gloria Gaynor. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's a really good song. So the Birdcage is a drag club owned by Armand Goldman, and his life partner, Albert, is the star of the club with the drag name Starina. Albert is very effeminate and very much a diva. Armand has a college-age son named Val, and um, his son's going to be getting married to a woman named Barbara. Um, Armand and Albert are shocked by the news, but ultimately support him until they find out that Barbara's parents are super conservative. Um, And so when Barbara lies to her parents about who Val's parents are, Armand and Albert have to hide their sexuality when they meet
1: um, Barbara's parents. Right. And then, you know, because this movie, um, uh, wouldn't be a comedy if it wasn't the case, things didn't go as planned. Um, when did you first watch this movie? I first saw it maybe
0: like nine years ago or so. Um, I'm, I must've been a teenager at the time. How did you like it? I liked it a lot. I remember really loving it. Um, I remember that my parents, um, and I watched it together and my mom was like, oh, I love this movie. You have to see it. Aww. Um, and, uh, yeah, did yeah you, I really know did... that you were, you know, <laughs> did I know that I was, <laughs> <laughs> No, um, I did not, no, not at that time. Um, Word. I'm going to be honest as much as I really love this movie, I don't think that this movie would have made me feel any better if I were closeted at the
1: time. Right. Um, I kind of had a similar experience. I watched it when I was twelve. Yeah, I watched it when I was like twelve or 11. no twelve, twelve, definitely twelve or thirteen. Um, I think my sister showed it to me. I don't remember, but it was like one of those movies that they would put at TNT all the time. Um, and, <laughs> yes. And I really enjoyed it. I think I, I like. I have like a complicated relationship with it because I'm like. I watch it every, I would say every two years. I watch it to like, kind of like refresh my mind on it because it, it really, I really do enjoy watching the film. Um, and the last time I watched it, so I watched it this week for the podcast, but I, the last time I watched it was at the beginning of quarantine around April. Um, and it, I was like not having it. <laughs> um, and this, and the second time, the second time that I watched it this week, I like I was laughing out loud. I thought it was really funny. Um, so I I think it's like one of those films that really depend on what mood you are. And the problems that I figured out how, that the movie had didn't go away this the time that I the second time that I watched it uh, this year. But it's a little bit more digestible um, because this the first thing. I get. I think that it's a really funny movie. How do you th- feel about it?
0: I I agree with that statement. I think it's very funny. I think I think that there are parts where where perhaps it leans more into drama than into broad comedy. But overall, yes, it's very funny.
1: It's very funny, and so here's the funny thing. I wa- I watched it with my boyfriend, and. I had completely forgotten about the fake out that they do in the beginning. He had never watched the movie, um, but that like they make us believe that Armin is cheating, when instead it's like his son. Like this, right? Right. Right. And I had completely forgotten about that fake out. And I thought, and he was, he bought, he was like, of course he's cheating. Like he's like, oh, like he's Robin Williams of scratch. And then like the reveal happens, and it's like, oh, like that's really wholesome. And the, the that's the one thing that I do appreciate um about the movie is that it kind of reverses the expectation of what a queer family is because they're both you know it's very it's reiterated several times throughout the movie that they are both really committed to each other um and the movie's really not afraid to show them as a couple like we see them kiss a handful of times they hold hands and they say i love you like a bunch of val was the son before you know the all the whole rendezvous starts happening he like is very appreciative of of having albert in his life for me i like i think if i was 12 i must have seen this movie around 2010 from for me in 2010 that was progressive i can't even imagine a movie in 1996 like you know, oh for that. sure i mean um, i mean
0: yeah, because it's it's a queer love story, but it's within that classic romantic comedy farcical sort of oeuvre. Um, it's also a queer love story that doesn't end in tragedy, so that in itself is pretty substantial. Although I disagree a little bit with what you said about how it kind of uh, reverses our expectations about queer relationships, um, I feel like this film actually plays into the idea that that within a relationship there has to be someone more masculine and someone more feminine um, in the relationship. And, I... that's, and that's exemplified in the movie by Armand and Albert. Armand is played by Robin Williams. Albert is played by Nathan Lane. And I feel like it does play into this you know, gender binary within a relationship. And most of the comedic moments come at Albert's expense.
1: Thank you. But at the same time, like, I as a queer person, someone who is very much comfortable in expressing my femininity and, and you know, like like something like mask or fem are things that really don't faze me anymore. The moments where, like, I would laugh when Albert would do something, I would, like, be like, oh, my God, that's so dramatic. And this is why I'm laughing. I wouldn't laugh because it was feminine. It's like oh my God, like I think my mind is like he's so dramatic, not like, oh my god, look at the at the at the f a g um right it's
0: it's just that it's just that in in a time where we don't get a lot of that queer representation, if that's the only thing we see, then it it does reinforce the stereotype
1: right I but, mean, then, but then you know you get the both ends of the spectrum, you would see as you say, like it's possible to show that it just so happens that Robin Williams was a little more masculine and like, we never, the only time that we see him asking to tone it down was at the request of Val. Like we like Robin Williams always like embraces his partners, you know, femininity and like, he like is never, never shames him for it. In fact, like he like really much embraces it. Um, and we also see, like, moments of Robin Williams being, like, a little feminine. When, like, he does this bit that, like, I think is so funny when he, like, is trying to teach the dancer how to dance. He's like, posse, posse, posse. And, like, things like that. Yes. <laughs> like, their, like, performance is very... It has staff, like, if you ask
0: me. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. Uh, you say that. I feel like Nathan Lane, who really steals the, the show in this movie as, as Albert... I feel like he embodies like the tragedy of being a queer performer in that you're living loudly and proudly, but hiding yourself or putting on some sort of mask or some so- sort of performance to
1: gain acceptance. Right, which is a great segue to really the meat of this episode. Val asked his dad, she said, Albert away for a few days so they don't have to deal with him because Robin Williams could very much quote-unquote pretend to be straight while well, it's really hard for for Albert. Um, and they're really fucking shitty to him the whole
0: movie. <clears throat> yeah, but but I think part of that, in some ways, because they're so shitty to him, this movie does a great job of showing how unfair it is that Armand and Albert should have to change their lives at all because it's not like a typical gay love story because they're already together they're already out proud and happy gay men who have a life together um and it's really interesting because in general we don't really get characters like that they're usually broken or missing in some way but armand and albert aren't they've got their lives together and are really really happy it's more of like a, a like a situational farce that happens here um but like they've made a life for the, for themselves in South Beach, and all of a sudden they're being hit with a dose of conservatism taking over their home. They they legit have to change all the decor in their apartment. Um, Albert overreacts and is a diva, but but it would bother me too. And I and I think I think that we're meant to sympathize with Albert here. I mean, oh, I, sure. I, I hope
1: for sure. Oh my god, and now like I and
0: this
1: thing that like obviously my perception as I came to terms with my sexuality changed about the film. I, like, I feel, like, incredibly, like, you know, I can't, I can't even imagine someone that I love. Like, even my friend, like, if my friend of mine, like, asked me, like, when meeting their parents to, like, to tone it down, like, that would fucking break me. Let alone, you know, this kid that, like, I've supposedly been racing for almost twenty years. Tells you me know, like that they would rather send me away than like be proud and proud. You know, it's that's it's fucking heartbreaking. And we never get an apology from from Val.
0: No, no. Albert gives and gives and gives, and Val just takes and takes and
1: takes. It's right, and it's, like, it's insulting. It's insulting. And at the point, and like at some point, in watching these movies, I like the movie. I I felt like I I thought that. Albert was like dramatic, but every like there's not a single reaction in this movie that's not justified. I disagree. There there are a lot of of moments
0: where Albert catches Armand doing something completely normal, but it's out of context, and then he gets hysterical about it and completely no, it, overreacts. Uh, okay,
1: so you can say it. So he like goes. Christine Varansky plays Huss- Val's mom, and he goes to like ask her to play the mom as as part of the visit, and when. Albert goes in, he, like, she sees him, like, pressing Robin Williams' chest, um, and I don't think this isn't justified, because Albert, at this point, has been seeing how Armin can go back to a quote-unquote normal life so easily, something that is not attainable for him, and he has been told by several characters in the film at this point that like, they just want him gone, that they don't want to deal with him. And then he sees like how, you know, Armand could like fake his way to straightness. And then he sees them with Christine Baranski. I would be like, this is, you know, you said that you were going to go in, ask a question and then we we're going to leave. Like, I'm already doing you a favor by letting myself humiliate myself like this by not being at the house and I'm not being treated fairly. early. I, I think, the, you know, the reaction was completely justified. Okay. It feels a little silly to me, but I understand
0: that we need it because Armand and Albert are the main couple, and we need those stakes and that conflict so that once we reach the end of the movie, they can reaffirm their love for each other.
1: Right.
0: You know? Uh, um, I, I have a question for you. Yeah. This movie, it's based on a foreign film which is based on a play. And to me, it did kind of have this play plotting. In the first 10, min- ten minutes, we, we hear about the, uh, the son getting married, but then his parents don't even arrive for the dinner until, until the second act over like, like right. 75 minutes into the movie. Um, and it's interestingly paced because a lot of it, it almost likes it's to crazy. be like a slice of life. Of Armand and Albert's life, but I'm wondering what
1: your thoughts on that are. So, I think this, like, I find it funny because they, like, even changed it to the place where they would live is an apartment, so it would be, like, smaller, kind of like a stage. Um, yeah, I like, this is very much like Fences, like Dabbed, obviously very different movies to this one, but it's, like, very obviously, like, the adaptation of a play and kind of like what I said with Um, rent last week.
0: I don't know. I don't mind it. When I watched the movie, the first few times I watched it, all I could remember was from the second half. I was watching the first half, and I was
1: like, when do we get to the dinner? (laughs) I I disagree. I I strongly disagree with that part. Um, Because to me, the most iconic scene in the movie, there are many, there are many iconic scenes, but to me, the most iconic scene is Albert trying to no Armand trying to teach Albert how to? Oh yes, yes, me and like shit like that and like teach like him. The
0: yeah, the how way that it. Albert puts mustard on toast is too
1: effeminate, and so Armand's trying to be know, masculine. It's such a funny scene, I just think it's like hilarious. And I think the movie does like a great build up to why the characters are in the state that they are by the time the movie arrives, from both sides, you know? Um, And I feel like if the movie was 80% dinner and 20% set up, I don't think it would be as effective, because then, you know, by the time we get to dinner, we've seen how hard it has been getting to this point, and, like, we see why these people are just, like, a mess. Well, yes.
0: Both part with
1: parents and old man's.
0: Yes. Oh, right. That's that's another thing that they have to hide about themselves. They're uh, Jewish. Yes, the fact <laughs> that they're that they're Jewish, and so they they tell his fiance's parents that their last name is Coleman, C O L E M A N, as opposed to G as in girl, O L D
1: M A N. And want to know what I I think this is like a struggle of genius. I just like thought about it. This is we talked about the highly offensive dinner scene and straight up and how uncomfortable it made me um, because it didn't feel like satire. And this is what my mind has as a reference when I think of perfect satire. Oh, for sure. For sure. You know, like because...
0: I'll out <laughs> because...
1: in drag and like, you tell them what, what
0: he said. Well, 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 yeah, let's back up for for like a sec. I guess we can give away the big gag of the movie, which is when Val's birth mother, Christine Baranski, is stuck in traffic, Albert goes in drag as Val's mother for the dinner, and Albert goes even farther, acting a lot more conservative than even Barbara's mother, saying some of the most off-color, awful things, and Barbara's father is just eating it up.
1: Right, uh, and he's like, for example, like, kill the mother if she wants to up, uh, aboard the kid, you know, like, it's like if she's going, the baby's gonna die, but he's going down with the ship, like, shit like that, it's like, you know, like it's so wrong, but, like, it works because you know, you, it, you just know, you know, it's like one of those, things. and same thing with, like, they make such ridicule of of the fact that, like, Barbara's parents, like, Holly, he, like, dies in bed with a, a black prostitute in, in bed, and and like they show her like giving an interview, um, the girl like the prostitute, she's saying, like, I thought he was smiling, but I just thought he was having a good time. You know, like there's, there's it's so well done at like make like making fun of of it. And like it never feels like a completely offensive, um, just because you know it it's it really feels like satire.
0: Yeah. yeah. And they and, and and they don't go for any low punches in terms of um, conservatism because because there are a lot of ways that, that you can like sort of make fun of conservatives. But one thing this movie does so so geniusly, and it, it equates them with being really boring. Like like Armand and Albert are so interesting in comparison, but meanwhile, while Gene Hackman as Senator Keeley, he's like he's literally like going on and on about the foliage and the most boring stuff he saw on the drive down. He's like, red leaves, purple mountains, green fields. Oh, that's
1: so good. Yeah. You're like, what the fuck is happening? And he just like says, like, there were the mountains. It's like, what? The one thing that it's, this movie attempts to do with satire and instead ends up being really offensive is um, Hank Azaria's character. Agador, yes. Agador. So Hank yes. Azaria is a Jewish man. There's not a single drop of of blood in his body that is Hispanic. Um, here he plays a very flamboyant Guatemalan helper, um, and they even make a joke at his expense, where like he like is not sure if he should like help Robin Williams, or so Robin Williams is like, "I have two words for you: green card." That's like, ha ha ha. Um, it doesn't age well. It doesn't. The accent is like really heavy. I like. I don't know, but he like. I've seen pictures of Hank Azaria, and like he looks kind of darker. I don't know if like you know there's like a little brown facing man. Um, well, I would hope not. I mean, Hank
0: Azaria, boy, he he's he's a good actor, but I feel like I feel like he really had his heyday with characters like like agador and apu Apu. on the simpsons the the,
1: the (laughs) thing is is, um the perform like and like this like the part that i hate the performance is great you know his character is like really really funny um it's It's a well-written character it's just sad that
0: like it comes at the expense of like right i i mean like in in some ways robin williams is fine as armand but i would have liked uh, to, to, to see a gay actor, I think in the case of Agador, you know, I really wanted to see a Latino actor more than yeah. anything.
1: Um, Hollywood, if you're listening, I'll be Agador. Um, and <laughs> yeah, I can do it. Um, no, but like that's that's my only problem with it. Um, the one thing that
0: I wish that this move movie did was I wish that it more actively confronted those conservative values it doesn't i mean the movie's so open about so many things and yet when it comes to like the film's message i think i wanted it to be a little more heavy-handed because like even the, the musical has this triumphant number i am what i am and you don't really see anything like that toward
1: the end of the movie well, The thing you is, you know, it kind it of it just feels ends like the movie, I feel like it feels like the movie runs out of time in a way yes yes um, like, once the big reveal happens, it feels like Mike Nichols had, you know, hundred $100,000 left for the rest of the movie because he was like, okay, we got to wrap this shit up now. Because once Christine Baranski shows up, and they got to tell the truth. They're like, oh my God, reporters are outside. Um, I need to get you out of the club. I'm going to put you in drag. And that's how the movie ends. <laughs> so it's just like, there's never this cathartic moment in which the character, and like, you could have had number one, val apologizing to to albert exactly or to albert um being like fuck you this is this is who i am i am what i am moment and also barbara's parents atoning for their mistakes and their sins and like realizing the hypocrisy of their actions um
0: yes exactly exactly and we don't get to see that and that's what's so frustrating
1: i just it's like it really does feel like but five extra mi- minutes, the movie would have done well. But it's a long movie, too. It's an hour and 50. Um, and, like, to be honest, I feel like nothing should be cut. I, like, I think I... But, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but moving on, this is one of those movies that, like, I feel it's going to be a good debate in woulda, coulda, shoulda. Um, yeah. I am fine with straight actors playing gay characters when it doesn't feel like a parody like you know when they like when they are overly flamboyant or like when they are like very promiscuous and when they are like very predatory Like you know like it's when they perpetuate those stereotypes that's when I feel like if you're gonna perpetuate the stereotype the least thing you could do is to get a gay actor to perpetuate them (laughs) Um, as bad as that sounds, um, but I really have no problems. I think the casting is like excellent. Um, I I do think the, the casting is excellent, but
0: I don't want to go back on on what I've said for the past few weeks, which is that it would have been nice to have a gay actor playing Armand. However, Robin Williams was. Absolutely fantastic, and really gave um, genuine heart to this role in the way that only he can. You know, right.
1: I don't know how to describe it. It feels weirdly respectful. It does. You know? It does. It never, like, I don't. I cannot think of a single thing other than Robin Williams saying "fag." Um, I can't think of, of a single joke or a single acting choice that he does that seems out of place for an actor
0: yeah and that's the thing about robin williams and all of his comedic roles is that even when there's a lot of like craziness and zaniness his performances have a lot of heart to them right i would say arguably albert is kind of the star here so a, and a, a Nathan right. Lane's character and and so it's interesting to, just to see Robin Williams kind of taking back. a back seat to yeah. sort of the main comedy
1: who uh, it's 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 worth mentioning Nathan Lane is an openly gay actor and we love you Nathan Lane sponsored podcast um oh we love Nathan Lane and it's it's honestly like really good and, and, and like it just it's and I'm sure that, like, Nathan Lane had his fair share of closed doors because his voice is really high or he was, like, effeminate. And, like, the fact that, like, in this role he can, like, turn it to 100 and make, a, make a, a stellar performance out of it, it's, like, I applaud it. Um, but if it, was, if it was done now, who, who would you think uh, was good for the v I would cast Billy
0: Porter as Armand... And I would cast either Billy Eichner
1: or Titus Burgess as Albert. So you you would want Billy Porter as Robin Williams? Yeah. I don't think that works. I think it works because the movie Robin Williams is there to play, ha ha, the straight man, and Billy Porter. I think he's like insanely talented, but he cannot play the straight man. I like honestly think if you switch those characters if you switch Billy Eichner as Armand and Billy Porter as Albert.
0: No, Billy Eichner. Billy Eichner is definitely an Albert. He's a straight man. No, no.
1: He's like cranky. He's always complaining. He's always very serious. He's not an over a larger than life character. That is, you know, what Billy Porter is off screen as well. I think they both are no okay I, well I, I, titus burgess billy
0: eichner and billy portner are all in the conversation for this hypothetical cast
1: yeah the the the, the, uh, the other thing is that like billy porter is he honestly like aged out of the character i don't think so He's 50 yeah so he has a son who's getting married and it's sh- and it shows that he's 50 i don't know it's just it yeah, but, like, the other thing is that they make it a point that he had Val when he was young, when he was too young. Oh, true. So, <sighs> and Billy Porter is 50, and Billy Agner looks, like, honestly, like, too young to, like, be I, doing yeah. that, you know? Put a beard on him, you know, and, and, and maybe crazy. a bald cap. He's only nine years younger than this. Let me present you the concept of... Dan Levy as Albert. Dan Levy and someone like I don't know like it could be Ryan Reynolds or even um Matt Damon as as Armand. Um excuse me are you are you suggesting that we cast
0: a straight actor as Armand?
1: You know what I just think that like I think that that the role should go to a comedian.
0: Yes, and there are plenty of gay people who can do comedy well. Yeah. Oh my god, like the three people I mentioned: Billy Porter, Titus Burgess, Billy Eichner.
1: I, I, like. I really cannot think that. I really cannot believe that you compare Billy Eichner, Billy Porter, and, and Titus Burgess to Robin Williams.
0: No, but but there's no one who can be like Robin Williams. Even you know what? Even John Mulaney could be really good as as Armand. Okay, I'll give you that. John Mulaney and the Ally, Ally <laughs> <laughs> and then Levy. I think that Den would make. What Levy as me. Albert? I I don't know.
1: I think it would make for a really funny movie. Um, just get Chris Pine to play the mom again, no question. <laughs> <laughs> It's funny.
0: I also thought about who I would want want to play uh, Barbara's parents and who I would want to play Agador. Oh. So for Barbara's parents, I would cast. If it were today, I would cast Matthew McConaughey and Deborah Messing.
1: Deborah Messing doesn't look conservative.
0: No, but whenever there's a project involving the gays, I feel like Deborah Messing has to be at least tangentially involved.
1: Oh, you know who could be a good Albert? Sean Hayes. Oh, is not But he's like he's the same age as Billy Porter. Yeah, but he looks younger. <laughs> um, I, mean, I don't know about that. Sean Hayes, I think that he's like funny enough. Well, yes, he 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 is funny. See, there are a
0: lot of great comedic actors who are gay. Right. So It's Sean Hayes. Um And as Agador, I would cast Jara Sophia.
1: Or um <laughs> Well, here's also um, here's the other thing that like I really came to realize. I have many people know I'm a huge drag race fan, and the illusion during the dinner part it was not there. I just saw a messy man. <laughs> like the like it's very clearly Nathan Lane in makeup, and after seeing the power of makeup and like what drag could do. I like, you know, we should open the the possibility of of a drag queen playing the role of of Albert. Albert. Yeah.
0: I completely agree. I completely agree. I think that would be wonderful. I mean, I do think that, you know, it was, this was 25 years ago. Drag has changed a lot um, aesthetically since then. But also, Albert didn't have that much time to get everything together.
1: Right, but like in general, you know, like the, the makeup wasn't, there.
0: It wasn't, I like but I, I felt I feel, like it was supposed to not be there, you know?
1: I get, like, someone like Jackie Pete or Sherry Vine, you know, like, these are, like, very good alternatives to, like, getting someone who, like, really knows the business of drag, but I get, you know, producers want to make money. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I really got to plot this movie for is that, like, I haven't seen like Treasure Full, but... I haven't either. But I I'm gonna say... This movie, the way they adapted it, for it to be American, is perfect.
0: It works. It works. It really, but I really, am curious to see the original film and see, you know, w- what they were working
1: with. I, I would love to see what they were working with, but they just... Anything that they adapted, you could do the same movie, the same exact movie. Don't change a single a single word of the script. And it would work in 2020. You know, like conservatives is still for the same shit and Rush Limbo is still on the radio. And Palm Beach has gay clubs. You know, like and drag, right now the drag is huge. Like it's like I think that the aspect of drag, it's it's really handled with respect because we're never it doesn't do the, the shit that a lot of movies in the nineties did that you know they would like that, you know, to Fu did that they would show right. and drag, right? Right. drag when they're not working. Like, I think that it just such it has like an amazing approach to all these issues that it's so relevant to right now I like I just like I think that that just shows that a, that a movie is so perfectly adapted to the medium that it's being adapted it's because it is yeah and, like I really I really don't think that like nothing would be out of place in 2020 the dolphins still suck really um, <laughs> and, 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 like, you know, like, I'm thinking, you know, like, Lindsey Graham could be that, that, well, no, he wouldn't be. Wouldn't oh, my be. God, no. <laughs> <laughs> Lindsey Graham could play Armand. <laughs> what have coulda, shoulda. No, I'm, like, trying to say that, like, you could, even if you wanted it to make, make it more real, you could even say that it was, like, I don't even know, Tom Cotton, or, like, Rick Santorum, the one that was, like, found with the process. You know, it's, like, the, we have the same style of politicians now yes Um, Yes. and i i just i i applaud the film i just i really do i really i there's so much not so much but there's a lot of wrong in this movie but there's so many things that like i'm honestly and i I don't want to give too much credit to this movie but like i i just really think that it's it's really impressive that someone had the vision over 20 years ago that they had them to like write the
0: script the way they did well, it. yeah, that's that's Elaine May of um, of the duo
1: Nichols and May. And oh, she adapted funny. the script. Funny little thing, um, Mike Nichols was bisexual. Work! Yeah, so. Not publicly, but, like, you know, one of those things. You know. <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, was Snub.
0: Okay, so, awards-wise, um... As I said earlier, um, the French film Le Cage à Faux was nominated for three awards, including um, Best Director and Best Adapted Screenplay. This didn't get quite the same recognition that the French film did. Um, it was nominated for one Oscar for Best Production Design, which I get. Yeah. I mean, it's it's, That's amazing. it's pretty. I think Nathan has
1: been nominated.
0: Oh, uh, I... I completely agree. Um, he was nominated for a Golden Globe, and the movie was nominated for a Golden Globe for Best Comedy, but overall, you know, it, it got good reviews. It has like an
1: 80, 82% on Rotten Tomatoes. I want to point out, and I, that I found shocking to realize this, it won the Stack Award for Outstanding Performance by a Cast in a Motion It did. It won the Screen Actors Guild Award. It won
0: the same award as fucking Parasite. I know, yeah. but But... But you have to remember that the Screen Actors Guild Awards had only started, like, one year or two years earlier. So that award, they were still trying to find what it meant to bestow that award. And it didn't really become an
1: Oscar harbinger
0: for a few years.
1: Oh, for sure. But, like, I just I just want to you know, to put it in perspective, like, it was against the English patient with ha- which had Willem Dafoe calling for it, Ralph Fiennes, um, and it was against Marvin's Room, which was Nero, DiCaprio, they and Keaton, Meryl Streep, um, and, you know, these are, like, really big people, and, the, and like, not to say that the Burkish didn't have big people, but, um, Nathan Lane has never been, at, at least in film, Has never been a house name, Um, and Hank Azaria wasn't necessarily a huge star back then. I find it surprising because this film, if you tell the audience how much money it made, it made
0: almost two hundred million dollars at the
1: box office. That's um, nuts. On a budget of thirty-one million. Let me run this by the inflation calculator. One hundred and.
0: Well, that's worldwide. Domestically, it made $124 million, which is still really great, and it ran for, for, for 14 weeks. Okay. It was number one for, at the box office. So I ran
1: it through the inflation calculator. In this year's money, it would be $306 million. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> I, I like, right now you cannot i really cannot think of a single movie with two gay characters that would make over three hundred million dollars in the box office a comedy that's true but, mo- like,
0: but but movie going is also different today than it was back it, then it is
1: it, it is different today, but I'm just like and this goes to this you know we i i think we've also talked about this how the nineties really were like a big resurgence for queer your media um it's which is like a a door that would close during the bush years, but i I still think that it's like insane the fact that like this movie made so much money it did it was a huge success um it's also very straight friendly as, yeah. as, as much as
0: I hate the term, it really is it had everything going for it. It was based on a French film. That was a huge international hit and is one of the highest-grossing foreign language films in the U.S. And and you know it became a Broadway musical, which won six Tonys. You know, so of course it's 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 popular source material.
1: It's also been revived many times. Breakage is the fifth the fifth highest grossing queer film. The other ones are Rocket Man, which is obviously like pushed um, with like by. The power that I built in John.
0: Wait, but that made less. Um, oh, are you
1: talking about worldwide? Yeah, worldwide. Okay. Um, then it's Philadelphia, which made $206 million. but, you know, it's Tom Hanks and then still Washington in a dr- gay, uh, drama about AIDS hey, and the fact that he's gay. It's really, like, a, a soft plot. <laughs> and then we have The Imitation Game, which is really fucking disrespectful to the homosexuality of Alan Turing, and I'm sure we're going to talk about it in the podcast because I hate that film. And number one is to, to so spray the horrible, untalented, unspectacular, always the same absolutely disgusting piece of dumb shit movie which made over $900 million. Oh God. Um, Rami Malik, please sponsor us. <laughs> Queen, sponsor the podcast. And this is one of those few movies that like, I feel like a lot of queer people have seen. I I would hope so. I mean, you know, I... If you're fucking watching Call Me By Your Name, drop everything and stop giving Army Hammer your dollars for fucking Timmy Chalamet. Give money to Nathan Lane. He needs it. Least- you,
0: you know what? It's our fault, because Call Me By Your Name was our first episode. We should have started
1: with the birdcage. Well, we, we know what the gay's like. We know that you fucking, like, saw those photos of Timmy Chalamet and his boxers vacationing. You know what you like? <laughs> Just cater to our audience. We do. <laughs> we, know, we know that Nathan Lane isn't the bomb show that he used to be. We did it in our first season, so don't come to us and fucking watch The Birdcage. It's honestly, it was on Netflix for the longest time, and it, now it's no longer Netflix. You can watch it um, if you have Showtime. I, like, never, I'm, like, I'm never pushed that many people to watch the movies because most of them are, like, fine, but, like, okay, history, you know? But now people are going to know like, what movies you really love and what movies you really hate. Right, because I hate everything. So, like, if I really enjoyed a movie, it's, like, it's because it's, it's enjoy It really is enjoyable. It's, like, that wholesome content that you need on a Tuesday night. I yeah. Think. It's, yeah. Really good, it's a really good quarantine watch, too. It like yes. you It your spirits. Um, I agree. So, so, Fernando, is this movie,
0: you know... <laughs> it
1: definitely is. It's, like... I was joking with my boyfriend once we, like, finished watching the film. He was like, oh, you're going to say that they didn't have sex, so it's not a gay movie. It's just, like, something I bring up in every episode. Um, I told him that my problem isn't that we don't see gay intercourse. My problem is when, like, the gay couples are not shown being intimate between each other. And intimacy takes a lot of shapes and forms. And I think we are shown Robin Williams and Nathan Lane being intimate with each other several times. Um, so I think this movie is, is it takes a lot from the gay community and, and, and gay culture in general to make it funny and make it as relevant as it is. And I think it does a, or it does it in a semi-respectful semi way. And I think, yeah, this movie is... Yeah. Gay. How do you feel? Is it you know? Gay.
0: I think it is very you know. Gay. And um, to your point about about intimacy, I think it's also different because because we're witnessing a relationship that is already happy and is already set from the start, and so we already know the rules of the game that 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 they're a couple. Whereas I think with a developing relationship and movies that show um characters developing relationships or like discovering sexuality i think yes the physical intimacy sometimes is an important part that we don't see but i feel like there's plenty of intimacy here like you said
1: yeah it it really put like a smile on my face so if you are looking for that kind of film go see it as always please leave a review an apple podcast and make it be good and you can email us to this movie you know at gmail.com and you can follow us on instagram it's this movie you know dot pod and listen to our other episodes because even if you didn't watch the bird you must have watched any of the other films that we just have in a
0: roster Yeah, like, I don't believe that that there is anyone who has, like, seen the list of films that we've done and has said, oh, I've never seen any of those. Like, really? But also, no shame if you haven't. It's totally okay. (laughs) Everyone has to start somewhere. I'm sorry. You're such a shamer.
1: And, you know. (laughs) And if you have Netflix, go watch. A couple of them are on Netflix. A couple of them are on Hulu. A couple of them are on HBO. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.
0: Bye, everyone.